Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. We are lucky to have Bill LePage from the Spike Feeders joining us today. Bill is a member of the Spike Feeders and its flesh and blood related offshoot, Spike Feeders Fab. Bill is also one third of the award-winning Living Legends Podcast. He is also our neighbor on the Canadian prairies from Winnipeg. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to have a chance to chat with you both today. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. So we like to always start our interviews off with the old elevator pitch. So can you give us a little lowdown on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been playing card games for basically as long as I can remember. Uh, it started with my brother back in the early 2000s and me looking at a lot of his uh, magic cards that he had from around like Tempest area or Tempest era. Um, and ever since then, I've just been interested in most of the big card games. Um, played Yu-Gi-Oh! back when I was in like early high school. Uh, transitioned to magic after that, uh, played that for quite a while. And then um, as I sort of became disillusioned with that, I picked up flesh and blood and uh, just kind of been rolling with it ever since. I, in my like real life, uh, in my day to day, uh, I'm a commercial insurance underwriter. Um, so I, I work with sort of if somebody needs insurance for their business or for their building that they own, then uh, sort of that's my that's my jam uh it's just about as interesting as it sounds um and outside of that um i in addition to card games i've been into video games my whole life as well started with the n64 and uh tony hawk's pro skater on the on the blue cartridge uh yeah big fan of that sort of stuff and uh yeah like lots of different rpg style games uh diablo 2 was a, a big uh, love of mine back in the back in the day and uh now it's sort of mostly roguelikes when i have a chance to play them so things like slay the spire uh backpack hero um hades mm. um yeah so that's that's sort of the lowdown on 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 me as a person as a gamer <laughs> nice that's awesome have you um picked up diablo 4 since um uh, it came out or are you past that no, I have. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time with Diablo three. Um, the I, like I was actually at Diablo three from the beginning. Uh, so Diablo three nice. vanilla with the yep. act the two house. wasps. Yeah, the auction house. Yeah, uh, yeah that was that was a, a travesty. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, ended up putting a lot of hours into Diablo three. Picked up Diablo four. Um, I'm not quite as taken with it um, as of yet. Uh, I just about got to the end of the game and then just sort of put it down and haven't really had the chance to pick it back up yet um but uh i do like the sort of the art direction and everything like it, it is still like a diablo game but uh feels very like mobile based mobile focused um, yeah i thought it was gonna be personally. more diablo 1 diablo 2-esque like come back from the super fast-paced not really in rpg aspect that diablo 3 became and I'm mm-hmm. the beginning of Diablo four. I felt like it was, but now that I'm kind of you know past the story, working on like the hell ties and stuff, it kind of feels like it's going back to Diablo three, just grind for gear as fast as you can kind of thing. So a yeah. little disappointed with that myself as well. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty hopeful just in the way that Diablo has been working like previously, especially with Diablo three. Like I said, Diablo three vanilla is such a different beast from what it is now. So there are no strangers to like incrementing and improving as patches come out. So I feel like they probably will at some point see this feedback and, and adjust accordingly. But yeah, for now it's, 
kind of a dud. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's understandable. You also yeah. talked about Slay the Spire. Um, I also put in a few hundred hours into Slay the Spire, but I find that game really difficult to climb those ascension ladders. Like, I don't put enough time into, like, really learning which cards are the good cards and what makes a bad deck. I just kind of jam cards and hope for the best. Um, what's your experience like with Slay the Spire? Um, I had... a. Uh, a, a reasonable amount of success climbing ascension but specifically only with ironclad um because you kind of have that sort of freedom of just jamming cards into your deck and it mm. sometimes is just really good i think yeah. i got up to like ascension 16 or something um wow. on specifically ironclad and nobody else yeah <laughs> That's um yeah, I don't know just strength stacking and whirlwind was just like such a game changer for me um and there was some amount of uh, like theory crafting and understanding what cards were good and which weren't. Um, but really, it was it was like Ironclad or Bust for me. Uh, none of the other characters really ever grabbed me quite as much as Ironclad did. So um, as soon as I sort of felt like I was good and like you know beat the heart at Ascension ten plus or whatever, I was just like, yeah. yeah. I'm good. But that was like, I think that took me like 750 hours to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. I um, like, I like the defect. I like jamming, jamming cards in the defect. You can get over 30 cards and they just kind of work. The yeah, silence. I throw daggers. Got to throw daggers. I do. I do like the idea of like shiv silent and claw defect. Claw defect was like my favorite mm. deck when the defect first dropped yeah. because they had one, um, I think it was reprogram uh, as a zero cost card that used to be look at the top six cards, upgrade to eight, and then put any number of them in your graveyard. Um, mm. So that plus with plus like all for one and whatever was just draw all of your claws and just go infinite. Just and it was crazy. Them. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's how, I think how I kind of climbed the Ascension Ladder with all of them. Like I just yeah. forced uh, Shield Bash build, forced Shiv build, and then forced some sort of Claw or somehow uh, like a Lightning Orb build where you just constantly yeah. cycle the Lightning Orbs. Yeah. So I got my fair share of losses. Uh, moving on, <laughs> what <laughs> kind of got you into Flesh and Blood? I just sort of heard about it through a bunch of different channels that we have as a result of just being the spike feeders. Um, we have a lot of uh, friends in the content creation space, and uh, I think the actual official start of it was um, we got sort of news from Olivia Gobert Hicks, who's a very talented, very prominent uh, cosplayer. Uh, in the magic community and in the flesh and blood community and she was reached out to by lss to ask her specifically hey would you mind like creating a cosplay for our character prism and coming to one of our events and like just being here uh and what they ended up doing was they not only compensated her but they also like sent her like thousands of dollars worth of cards as like reference material and like sketches and stuff like so that she had as much of an idea of po as possible of how to turn this 2d character into 3d and actually cosplay her correctly and personally just from uh you know different experiences with other companies it was just really refreshing to see a company that was so like person focused so content creator focused and really making sure that they have every tool that they need in order to succeed as somebody who just enjoys the game mm -hmm. um so as a result of that, as a result of seeing, uh, there were some videos that uh, Luis Scott Vargas, LSV, posted uh, as part of Channel Fireball, where he was sort of 
demonstrating Flesh and Blood when it first came out. That started my interest in it. Um, it took me a while to finally catch up to that. Uh, I started playing just just as Tales of Aria dropped. My first ever okay. event was Tales of Aria pre-release. Um, and that was just like the beginning of the end for me because uh, I saw some cold foils get pulled and I was like, this is the nicest card I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, so I've started really collecting those and uh, just really appreciating the, everything that the game has to offer. Um, yeah, the, the, the whole idea behind Flesh and Blood having these characters that you can really be drawn into and, um, and really connect with is just so powerful uh, when it comes to a game and uh, how you interact with it personally. So that's something I really enjoyed as well. <laughs> I, I, we talked about this a few times on our podcast before, um, about a lot of our community members are, you know, like, oh, I don't want to say a one-trick pony, but they really dive into that one hero and hearing it from you, I think you put it in a really good way. That's probably why people are so dedicated to a hero, whether it be the art style or something, something about that speaks to them and they really want to put the time in and invest in that hero and i think that's really you did a really good job of sort of like putting it in perspective yeah thank you there is unfortunately kind of a, a double-edged sword with that as well uh and I, I really resonate with that uh you know finding a hero that just speaks to you that you look at them the, the first thing that i ask people to do when they're interested in flesh and blood is i send them the hero list on the official flesh and blood page and i just say which of these heroes looks cool? Like, which of these looks interesting to you? I will build you a deck for that hero, and you can try them out. Um, and sometimes it'll be, I'm drawn to this art style, or they'll say, in this type of game, I like playing this style. It'll be like, I like playing tokens, I like playing aggro, I like whatever. And uh, sort of go from there. But like I said, the downside to that is if people are really uh, attached to a specific hero that ends up being really good, then living legend kind of comes around and and kicks you in the teeth a little bit yeah um there were uh there's one local player specifically kaylee um who's also a flesh and blood judge uh she completely fell in love with starvo uh when he came out and like very naturally built the deck and didn't necessarily follow it from like you know like a meta slave standpoint didn't want to just play the deck because it was the best just the character really resonated with her and then uh he ended up being too good and banned and she has mm -hmm. the full deck in like max rarity uh, just waiting wow. for us to start playing living legend format um but yeah some people have have felt kind of slighted by uh heroes sort of achieving living legend status so that's something to to balance it out but i think that the the overall um strength of the connection that people can feel is something that's really important for flesh and blood just to to think back about something else that you said do you remember was it which card it was that really made you say wow like look at this card this really resonates with me i i actually do i know exactly which card it was and it's unfortunate because it has a bit of a story at my expense around it <laughs> um i was at the tales of aria pre-release and my friend jerry who's also on the spike feeders um he opened up a cold foil dusk blade and that was like the first cold foil that i had seen thus far and i was like oh my god like it's so cool the foiling looks so nice it's like textured it has uh like it's a majestic so it's really neat 
and uh, I was looking at the effect, and I'm like, yeah, this card's insane. Uh, so I was like, do you want this card? And he's like, no, I'm not interested in Runeblade. He wanted to play Olden. And so I was like, okay, I'll buy this card off of you. And we looked up the prices, and it was around just around three hundred dollars Canadian. Yeah. Uh, so what I ended up doing was trading him for it, buying him a bunch of staples so that he could just get into the game, trading for it, and then like a week and a half later, it was banned. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I still like don't regret that because you know it's sort of plays into I think a lot of the reason why you. Uh, wanted to reach out to me but it was more important to me to get somebody the foothold that they needed to start playing the game than it was for me to get a good deal on that and of course now the card has a story behind it too which to me is just worth it anyway <laughs> yeah those were truly the wild west days of and, and i've i've said this a couple times i'm not very savvy when it comes to the financial side of what cards are up and what's down but I'm glad that we're not at the stage where CFMs are hundreds of dollars, like on set release back in in Monarch and and Tales. It was pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, it was. The, it was crazy. The the Monarch CFs pre releases like Husk being nine hundred dollars Canadian. Yeah, yeah. absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and I agree with you. I'm glad we're not there anymore. Um, yeah, because it's yeah, it's too that's... it's too much, and that's part of like I think the that public gets a glimpse of that and they're like well this game is way too expensive and that's not what we want especially as community people that want to bring people in the game that's the last thing we want to see is that a barrier of entry for a hero that might be interesting starts at a thousand dollars for a single card that's mm -hmm. not healthy in any way yeah it's it's unfortunate and it is something that i think is in the process of being addressed with um just current um ideologies behind how they're creating these like you know they have the new marvel rarity which does as a result kind of offset the prices of other things um they are they, they got rid of uh the unlimited printing being separate so mm -hmm. now there's like you can get uh any of the legendaries from uh the most recent set from outsiders and i think the most expensive one is like 50 dollars um yeah. which still like i don't want to downplay that to to people that can still be expensive and that's like something that i, I definitely don't want to uh brush aside but like you look at from a previous set from uh from tales of aria even from when i started and uh, new horizons is still like a 250 dollars card um uh, mm -hmm. and like that's that's too much um like i'm a pretty entrenched player at this point i'm pretty enfranchised i have like every card that I could possibly need, but I would be ecstatic if these cards just plummeted in price because I just want people to play. I don't care about the financial side of it. Um, it is more interesting for me to have a play group than it is for me to just have these cards and having no one to play with because they either can't afford it or uh, they just don't want to because it's a totally normal and human thing to not want to spend every dollar of your paycheck just to mm -hmm. play a hobby. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So how did the Spike Feeders Fab um, offshoot get started from uh, the main channel of the Spike Feeders? Uh, it was a pretty pretty reasonable uh, evolution of what we were doing anyway. Um, like I said, I sort of started to get disenfranchised with magic, and I don't, I, I've, I've gone on record about that a couple times, and I don't really want to just keep driving the point home. But uh, anyway, long, like long story short i just started to not be interested in magic as much as i was and like i was very all in on magic that was like my main hobby 
uh, I still have a decent number of, of really, really nice cards, um, but just playing it just really wasn't, wasn't resonating with me. And then sort of picked up Flesh and Blood, really enjoyed it, uh, got a couple of the other people from the Spike Feeders and some friends um, to get into it as well. And uh, my brother, uh, Jim, from the Spike Feeders, um, is very much content focused. Um, it is something that he just really appreciates and enjoys, is creating content and creating opportunities for content as well. So at some point, we had just been playing, we had been sort of totally head down, blinders on, just like flesh and blood is the, th is the thing that I'm interested in. And uh, he just approached me and said, look, like, this is much easier, like the idea of a 1v1 format, just top down, whatever. We're already doing like four player games. This is a lot more editing and we're already okay with it. Do you find any value in creating like 1v1 format, um, like edited gameplay, high quality? Because there were other people in the game that were already doing it, uh, most notably Fabrica, I think was mm -hmm. the sort of the big one at the time. And they are still, of course, uh, a big one. I think they're they're still much more successful than we are at it. But it's like, you know, like, why not? We're already, because of the filming that we were doing with uh, Commander, with EDH, we were just in a position where we could kind of just start it up and, and get it ready. And um, it ended up being not a huge drain on our current resources. Um, so we figured, you know, why not try? And uh, I think we've gotten into a spot where it's slightly more uh, feasible to, to keep going, even though as the time is, has sort of dragged on, uh, it's like myself and Elliot are kind of the only people, at least as part of the Spike Feeders, who are yeah. still like really into Flesh and Blood. Um, like Jan was also in there. Uh, I mentioned Jerry, the one that pulled the the Dusk Blade. He hasn't played like since that pre-release, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, yeah, without a without a wider pool of people to choose from, it can be difficult to just get um, schedules to line up. But yeah. other than that, um, yeah, it's basically just an extension of what we were already doing, and ended up being just kind of an easy thing to to try out and do. So we're we're very lucky to have been in that position, of course. Um, to have that infrastructure in place so yeah yeah i i do want to shout out your channel spike feeders fab for being so approachable and casual and fun like um and it doesn't seem to matter what decks are being showcased uh, from the starvo gauntlet and cc to all of the uh <laughs> The very unfortunately timed one, um, no fault of your own, but uh, to all the Blitz gauntlets that you do, I mean, you know, gameplay aside, you, you know, and, and we know that you're not there for, like, Michael Hamilton type plays. You're there to have fun, to showcase some cool plays, what are the cool splashy things we can do. And that reminds me a lot about how I have the most fun playing Flesh and Blood as well. So, no, huge, huge shout out for, for that. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, something that is really important to us as well, because, yeah, if we were just all about like top tier competitive content, um, we are competing against, like you said, we're competing against the Michael Hamiltons. And there's just there isn't a competition there. Like, I, yep. I don't have any illusions about where our content lies uh, when it comes to like being super spiky. Um, which, yeah, I think is fine. And that's a lot of where our initial um, 
commander content came from as well is just showing people that you know in this game that can be really competitive it's also important and possible to just have fun with it too um so yeah that's that's basically our mission statement (laughs) yeah i mean can you expand on that a little bit because um going back to what you said and uh spike feeders is focused on a format called competitive edh right which is a a very optimal very competitive way um theoretically of of taking a casual format but has was it always the mission of the spike feeders to to take it to a more casual and approachable level yes yeah it actually was from day one our intent to showcase um high powered gameplay but not in any sort of um like you said like not in an unapproachable way because something that we did notice uh with some other content creators that were doing cdh content at the time uh, it was very robotic it was very stiff and um just not a ton of fun to watch like it was it was very much about the competitive part of it and less about the actual interactions that you were having with people and edh at its core is a a very approachable format um at least it's that's the intent that's why it's become such a big force of magic um but yeah it all started i uh i pulled a tesa envoy of ghosts from uh guilds of ravnica uh draft that i was at or not guilds the even older than that return to ravnica i think it was and uh i was like i just want to play this card in a deck it's not good but i'm going to build a commander deck and then i hounded all of the other guys to build commander decks so that we could play and then we finally did and then we got to that point in commander where you're just having like four hour games and everybody checks out and it's just like not fun anymore right i was like i'm just gonna start playing good cards and then sort of started that arms race got things good to go a little bit faster and faster and um yeah we were playing like these sort of like I said, faster and faster and faster and more optimal decks. But we were still like throwing shots at each other and just having a good time and laughing. And then we were seeing this other content that was around and realizing that like there's there was this sort of stigma around playing higher power stuff. And it's like, well, this isn't like how it always has to be. Like you can have fun playing Yogmoth's will. That's allowed. Um and yeah anyway so it uh it sort of went from that to why don't we make content to show people that it's okay to laugh while playing these powerful cards and uh yeah it just looks like we kind of hit a niche that needed to be hit and uh people really resonated with that so i'm I'm glad that we're able to keep that going even into a different game entirely um and sort of keep that approachable social fun environment um intact yeah, exactly. Even in a 1v1 focused game like Fab, I mean, obviously a lot different. You lack a lot of the politics and the social interactions, but still, just because you're playing optimally or trying to, even Shay and I, we talk all the time about, we try to be casually competitive within the extents of, of what we're able to as adults with you know responsibilities, but there's nothing stopping us from trying to be competitive, trying to be spiked sometimes, but still having a very good time, being very friendly about it, very sportsmanlike. And I mean, I, I definitely see that within both your Fab channel and your, your main channel as well. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, 
Well, let's move on to our next topic here, community building. And that's something that is very important to all of us here. And Bill, you do talk about your local scene from time to time on the Living Legends podcast. And I'd love to hear more about the scene in Winnipeg and I guess specifically what you do to help uh, help grow that community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, when I ended up getting into it, um, there was already still a scene. Um, it was slightly smaller than it is now. Um, there, and we've had some people sort of drift out and then new players um, join as well. But uh, one of the main things that sort of helped me, um, helped me sort of try to facilitate uh, a community was... Uh, you won't be able to to see this as a, as a listener of the podcast, but uh, Felix and Shay can both see. Um, just behind me, these boxes here, that's all flesh and blood bulk. I was going to ask. Oh, boy. I was going to ask um, if that was magic or flesh and blood. There's one, two, no, three, that is four, all... five. Six yeah. pizza boxes, I believe. Yeah, those are, yeah. those are all five rows, and they're basically yeah. filled to the brim. Um, but yeah, that was. I just love opening packs, and uh, it was more reasonable for me to open boxes uh and even up to cases sometimes of flesh and blood than it was when i played magic um because the boxes were just you know that much more expensive or whatever or maybe i just didn't you know i wasn't as fiscally irresponsible back then um <laughs> but uh as a result i was able to sort of work that into um making things a little bit easier because obviously with our uh our offerings for lgs's uh, being pretty sparse, um, like we do have three very high quality LGSs, but only one of them, two of them kind of uh, do singles and they don't have a very big variety of singles. Um, so if you were looking for specific cards um, for a deck, most of the time you have to look outward. You have to look you know, to other stores within Canada, sometimes even to the States, like through TCG Player. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure you both know, being Canadians in a card game space, ordering singles off of TCG Player to Canada is a nightmare. <laughs> it oh, is yes, so it expensive. Is. It's bad. And yeah, there's like zero options. Uh, it's, it's really unfortunate. So as a result of me deciding to just open up a bunch of boxes and stuff, I have tons of traders. Um, yes. Not Maybe not as much as I did maybe like a year ago, but it became kind of a meme within our community of like, if you're looking for a card, just ask Bill uh, and he'll hook you up. Um, So that really, it it felt good to do that as well, because um, sort of like I was saying, where um, whenever somebody new is looking to get into the game, I just ask them like, what hero do you like? And because I have all of this bulk, I just build them like a commoner blitz deck and just give it to them for free um, yeah. because there's there's nothing else that this bulk is doing anyway so I might as well use it to see if somebody likes the game um, and it's been pretty helpful so far um, a lot of the the people in our local community um, have sort of appreciated that I think I don't want to speak too highly of, <laughs> of what of I've done because I, I don't want to bloviate like that but um, but from what I've seen and sort of the reaction that I've gotten, um, it just helps because otherwise, you know, again, you have to buy something off of TCG player. If it's a full deck of these like commons that I have thousands of at this point, and you're even paying like 15 cents a card, like that really adds up. And that can be like, you, like you said uh, earlier with uh, the example of carrying husk, even if it's not $900, sometimes it's, you know, the TCG player order ends up being $75. And sometimes that's too much if you're just trying to get a feel for how a game is. Um, 
So that was something I was able to, to utilize to make it a little bit easier to break through that barrier of entry and make it more reasonable for somebody to be like, okay, I will spend $75 on this game. I will buy that Courage of Blade Hold that uh, I was looking at because I like Dorinthia and I found yeah. out because I got this deck. Um, so yeah, that's uh, some of the things that I've been able to do um, personally to try to make things a little bit better. And of course, just, you know, at local events, just being being polite to people and uh, being understanding because, you know, every event that isn't a road to Nats, you're you're just there to have a good time and play the game. Like, don't don't rule shark people at a at a regular. No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, that's that's so so nice to hear. And I, I would just like to ask as well, because you mentioned that the Tales pre-release was one of the first bigger events for Winnipeg. And that was around one and a half to two years ago. Jeez, like time yeah. time is always difficult to think of. So I I like to think that, you know, there there could be a lot of excitement for a new game, some kind of honeymoon period. Um, that's inevitable for anything that's new and, and a lot of people checking something out for the first time. But then, of course, after a couple months or maybe after a year, people move on. So for Winnipeg specifically, have you seen a little bit of that rush or a bit of that ebb and flow or has it been fairly steady for the last year and a half to two years or how's that? There, there is definitely a, a core group of people locally that have been here like since the start. Um, there, I was, I was definitely not part of the first wave. Um, there were some amount of people that were around like crew monarch um we didn't really have much locally when that was happening we have one local person uh who currently works at one of the lgs's that has been into flesh and blood since the absolute beginning uh like was buying cases of alpha welcome to wraith um oh, from wow. the u.s for like 500 bucks because yeah, it was just nice. it was new it was the thing um but uh yeah there is like a core of i'd say probably like eight to ten people if i'm i think that's doing the math correctly um and of course there were sort of more people at the start that don't play quite as much and there are also new people that have started to show up more frequently and uh and become part of the community and uh there is definitely like a, a little bit of an ebb especially when bigger events happen um there are a couple of times where i've noticed sort of new people show up and then um, just kind of either sort of dwindle out as the months go on, uh, or they just go to the one big event and we don't really see them again after that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have sort of a core of people. And then sometimes you get another bite. Sometimes you get another person that shows up and, and you sort of try to cultivate that as best you can. Um, because we're already so small of a community that there's there's really no room to like try to push people away yeah. <laughs> obviously that's not what anybody wants to do but it can be sort of a balance uh when you want to add more people when you have those lulls you typically i think between sets when you start to get to the end of a, a set do you have uh or do you guys do anything in your community to try and re like revitalize that you start to see attendance to drop do you guys um think of a plan or a, a new way to engage the existing community to kind of come out to events before we get to that um, fresh new set or maybe a competitive season or something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we do in, in some capacity. Um, like I said, we like our core is 
pretty loyal um, and pretty consistent. Um, but there are definitely times where I think even relatively recently, I think it was in the last six months, there was one where a weekend event just like straight up couldn't fire because I think only two or three people showed up and um, that felt kind of bad. So something mm-hmm. that I've, I've noticed local stores do if they sort of anticipate that to happen is they'll actually like poll the community and be like, what type of event do you want to see next week? Um, instead of just having a set in stone schedule, it'll be like, mm-hmm. okay, we could do a draft next week if you want, or we could do CC, we could do Blitz, we could do Commoner even. Um, like the the option has um, basically always, honestly, been left up to the, the will of the masses, um, which I think definitely helps because there's a, a large contingent of our our regular locals that much prefer CC over Blitz, even though Blitz is the more sort of uh, approachable format of the two. Um, we have a lot of people that just prefer it as a format. So uh, a lot of our events end up being um, CC because we know that the sort of loyal core will be there uh, and thus the event will fire. Yeah, that's that's great to hear that the stores and the community is willing to be responsive like that in if there is a need or or there's an issue. Um, just um, that core of players or even some of the new players, I'm always curious to hear other scenes and other communities experience. Um, in Calgary, for example, it's not like 90% of us are former Magic players. We have a huge variety of different backgrounds. Like Shay and I come from board games. And of course there mm. are Magic players, there's Pokemon players, Yu-Gi-Oh! like so we have quite an eclectic mix of backgrounds um is it the same for for you guys or is it more a lot of magic players um what kind of backgrounds do people have that are interested in this game um it's it's actually kind of funny because we do uh, a decent amount of um almost like comparing um i don't know if, if everybody in our local scene does that necessarily but um for sort of specific backgrounds uh a lot of them are just former tcg players uh not as many of them as you might think come for specifically from magic um we have a decent amount of people that come from like um there's like a there was like a star wars tcg recently like recently within the last decade or something destiny i think i think it was yeah star wars destiny and then legend of the five rings um Ooh, yeah. there's a, a decent amount of our current uh group that used to play that um and uh yeah it's a lot of people who sort of come from uh i think netrunner uh as well was uh another relatively big one um but it is like mostly card games and mostly people that had like a competitive edge to the card games that they interacted with um and then uh it's like i almost want to say sort of unrelated but not really a lot of them are also just really like intelligent people like we have a bunch of like high level computer programmers and there's like a couple of doctors and like professors and stuff and then there's just there's just me um but no, Bill, yeah. I, I agree flesh and blood players are the most intelligent people out there their brains yeah. are so big <laughs> huge yeah. it, it's it's funny that you mentioned basically a bunch of ffg um players looking for a new home uh it's mm-hmm. not the first time we've heard that story either so I yeah, think, yeah. No. no it's uh it is really funny there are some people that still sort of look back longingly on their times with uh with legend of the five rings um but they also like as much as i say that they haven't really looked 
back. Um, like a lot of the people that came from that found a really solid home in in Flesh and Blood, uh, and I'm I, I think that that's really cool as well. <laughs> that it's just like it's it's a space where if you felt competitive in a previous game um, and you vibe with the game itself, you can likely find uh, a decent spot here as well. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Is your scene, would you characterize it as fairly casual or is it getting to be more competitive with your skirmishes and your tier two events like RTNs and ProQuests? We definitely have, uh, a, I would say, a majority of our regular locals are like on the, the higher end of the competitive scale. Um, we have... Uh, a handful of players that, um, you know, have qualified for uh, nationals. Uh, one of our locals, Seth Penner, um, has been to, I believe, three at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, we have uh, level one, soon to be level two judge, uh, Grant Bartell, who's also a very, very talented Kano player, um, who I think is planning on going to uh, or has gone to one of the nationals. I, if, if you're listening to this grant, I'm sorry. But <laughs> grant is a legend um, in the judge community and he was also at the top tables last Canadian nationals. So yeah. Yeah. Big so shout out he's, to grant. Yeah. Grant Bartel. He's uh, he's a, he's a friend of the channel and a friend of, of mine. I actually have some cards to pick up from him at some point. Uh, he ended up, he was clamoring to uh, judge the road to Nats that we had uh, because he needs more high level events so that he can be a level two judge. Mm -hmm. uh, so I ended up buying one of his Therions from him. Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, so we have uh, a decent amount of like people who are striving for Nats, um, people who either want to earn them from the road to Nats um, and get their invites or uh, just through XP alone. And we have... There's at least one additional person. Uh, his name is Abe, who's also a very talented player, uh, who I believe qualified through XP alone. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, is, it does tend towards uh, more competitive, but also because we sort of know each other quite well, um, it's, it, we can keep it relatively lighthearted and people don't get like, you know, overly salty or um, really down in the dumps if they're not performing well. Um, everybody's sort of there under the the understanding that they're there for a good time but also like optimal play is encouraged and expected mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's a very sort of i don't know it, it feels different from a lot of the other card game events that i've personally been to um most of the time you have one but not the other <laughs> No, that's great. It sounds a lot like our scene. I mean, Shay, we, we talk about this all the time, casual, competitive, both, right? Yeah, I was I was going to say exactly the same thing. It's, the scene sounds very similar mm -hmm. uh, in that, yeah, we have people that want to do well and push um, to become better players, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Uh, having fun is also top priority as well. So yep. it sounds very similar. Um, speaking a little bit to traveling, a little bit. Um, does Winnipeg feel connected to like the broader Canadian scene or do you kind of, uh, I guess, feel sort of like we do out here in Calgary, a bit more isolated, like you're on your own island? I definitely resonate with the idea of us feeling more like an island. Um, 
most of the time, it, it's actually quite funny when I, I hear about events that are happening in like Toronto or something like that. It's mostly always Toronto because of course it is. Um, but I'll, you know, talk to my, some of my American friends and they'll be like, Oh, are you going to this event in Toronto? You could probably just drive there. Right. I'm like, it is an eight hour drive. I, and then like also flights there are $300 because of course they are, uh, actually they're probably even more expensive than that. But, um, yeah, so it can it can feel tough uh, at times because every event that happens is it just feels like a million years away wherever it is. Um, so while we have a really good scene locally and at the three stores that we normally do, um, we don't really have much um, interaction with places past that. Other than we have had some people. Apparently, there is a very small contingent of, of people that play in Brandon. Uh, which is a, another sort of town within Manitoba. Um, we also had somebody fly in from BC one time who was just doing like hops to different road to Nats across right. Canada. Um, but yeah, like as far as I know, none of us locally actually specifically like drive out to other LGSs outside of Manitoba. Um, so yeah, it can it can feel not necessarily stale, but yeah, like isolating, like you had mentioned. Yeah. How important is it for you to have access to like tier two and tier three and events? And further to that, what do you think will trigger LSS to look at, I guess the prairies as, as a greater, as an option to host those events? It would be, I don't know. It would be kind of tough because um, we don't have the, the player base just at a critical mass to, really uh pull that many people i mean if there was a big event i'm sure people would show up um and like as much as people love to rag on winnipeg myself included um it actually does have like a pretty decent scene for like food and entertainment and like stuff to do um it's maybe not as impressive as something like vegas uh obviously but um i don't think it would be that bad of an option getting anybody to do anything in the prairies is, is just tough so I don't know anything about greater events, but I wonder, is that actually a consideration for a company like LSS or um, Star City Games when they're looking at planning the major events? Do you think they actually look into, um, I guess, the, the city life of the city or do they just look at population density and go, yeah, we're going to plunk one, an event down here? Or is the greater options, you know, a consideration? I think it's a mix of a couple different things. One of the main things is making sure they have enough of an infrastructure to do so. Um, so like we have an event center that is quite substantial, um, but I don't know, depending on what they would require, if our event center would be good enough. Mm -hmm. um, like that's one of the, one of the reasons why sometimes when events happen, it'll be in like a big place like Vegas, or it'll feel like it's just in a random place, but it's because they just have a huge convention center for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think population and, um, I think that does also play into it. Um, I do have obviously some amount of, um, like relate, like not, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like extended information contact, like through people that I know who have connections to like the event program, uh, programmers at LSS, mm -hmm. um, that there's a lot that goes into it. And there's like maybe a few reasons why worlds hasn't been announced yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's a lot more complicated than it seems, and I wish it wasn't as complicated, but also it feels like there's just a reason why they don't pick the prairies, and I yeah. don't know what that reason is. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you wish that LSS could do better to serve local communities, or do you feel that the level of support that we're getting is you know pretty good comparable to other games? Honestly, I think they do a really good job. Um, their their support of local communities and like like I was saying earlier with cosplayers and uh, people who really want to engage with the game, um, they do a really good job at finding ways that are not necessarily completely monetary to ensure that people are compensated. And as sort of antithetical as that sounds. I think one of the main things that illustrates the point is just the Taylor promo that cosplayers mm -hmm. get as topping um, a cosplay contest. Like that is a card that costs them zero dollars to create. They just print it out and they're able to hand it out as a promo. And then it sells for like three and a half thousand dollars. Like it is something that cosplayers can then turn around and sell to, you know, basically make their own prize money. And, uh, I, I think that that's really cool because that's something sustainable that LSS can do without signing themselves up for a multi-million dollar uh, event. And, uh, you know, there was a whole controversy in Magic where uh, they handed out Joanne's Fabric gift cards instead of just, like, money as a prize card, or as, as a prize for a cosplay event. Um, and that sort of rang hollow for some people, especially because they had already spent all of their money to make the costume to then enter the contest. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, magic aside, uh, I think that LSS actually does a really good job. The support kits that they send out for, for armories and stuff are actually quite good and uh, end up being a driving force behind people wanting to, especially the, um, the cold foils that you can get at sort of the top end of things. How important is it to make connections online, I guess, for your scene, be it for yourself or for the other members of your community? Because, and I, I'm guessing that it's somewhat important because when I think about Winnipeg, it's a smaller city within, within Canada, but there are a few notable people within fab from winnipeg that that i know about uh there's of course yourself with the the living legends podcast but there's kaylee with everything she does for even the the new uh pitch perfect rainbow league that's uh mm -hmm. that's come out and of course yeah there's grant who is a mainstay on the <laughs> the judge um discord so i mean for us in Calgary, Shay mentioned we have our rivalry with Edmonton that additionally kind of motivates us. But for you guys, like, does that online aspect really add something to your scene and, and increase your level of engagement with the game? Yeah, personally, I would say that it does. Um, obviously, we already have a decent um, amount of contact with um, people online um, just through the spike feeders as a whole. We have our whole discord where um, we have like a pretty thriving community. Um, so the fact that a subset of that community is also flesh and blood, um, it just makes it, it makes it so much more of a complete experience um, because, you know, you have your own local community and whether that be fulfilling, like I would say ours is, or sometimes maybe it's an unfulfilling experience for people um i've heard stories of people going out to their local event and just getting stomped unapologetically and it's like well that doesn't that's not really something that i want to do with my free time uh, i would prefer to have fun <laughs> um 
but uh, yeah, you can sort of, regardless of your experience, you can then, you know, reach out to like-minded people um, and, you know, you can start to compare notes about like, oh, how was your event? Like, what, how did you do? What is your meta like? Is there anything that you're seeing that is sort of different from what my meta is like? Maybe something else that I can try to have more fun or, um, you know, how were you countering this in your local community? Um, and just being able to compare notes and uh, stories, I think, is just a really valuable part of feeling like a more uh, engaged and complete member of really any community, but I think specifically Flesh and Blood as well, because, um, like, you know, just tech options, I think, as a result of just people like throwing their head against a wall uh and in respect to certain matchups uh obviously i'm referring to olden um but <laughs> Come uh, on just now. finding yeah. <laughs> you deserve it you deserve it <laughs> but uh but no just like finding ways to sort of overcome a common enemy together uh i yeah. think can be really satisfying and really fulfilling um and just having more opportunity to do that with people who have a different perspective i think is really cool Oh, thank you. Nice. Moving on, just like us, you're also a judge. Was there something that um, catapulted you into deciding to go down this path? Um, I have always just sort of wanted to be in that capacity, in like a judge sort of capacity, uh, understanding the rules, etc. Um, basically, ever since I started playing uh, card games, like I back in the back in the day, I was a Yu-Gi-Oh judge, technically. Um, I wanted to become a magic judge, uh, but just never went down that path and then realized that the judge program for flesh and blood was like relatively new. Uh, it wasn't really a fully, um, realized thing. Uh, this was still at the point where you kind of just had to tell, you just had to like fill out a PDF on flesh and blood's website and they'll be like, we'll contact you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just felt like to better help the uh the facilitation of the game you know i wasn't aware if other people would become a judge and that would directly impact our ability to hold higher level events mm -hmm. um because you know if you're holding a road to nats you need a judge and that's just yep. how it is yep. um so i figured you know uh i don't care enough about the competitive aspect to really like clamor to um compete in these but if it means that people can play in these events and that we can have them then that's the more important part um so yeah really it was just from uh, a stance of i want to make sure that we have the capacity to to hold these types of events and then obviously grant came along and he's a way better judge than i am so. <laughs> is there like a little rivalry between you how do you guys um in a smaller scene i guess separate or do you guys delineate who gets to do do what events um most of the time it was just grant wanted to play in the event more than he wanted to judge it um okay. he also sort of lives out of town so there was one event where he was going to judge but ended up getting snowed in um so i kind of got yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got uh, i got contacted basically at the 11th hour uh and our game store owner was like hey are you free by any chance for the next six hours um and uh yeah most of the time it just sort of defaulted to me um okay. and uh yeah i was always happy to just go and hang out and obviously get the judge support i liked that too yeah. so it's nice how, um how was your experience doing the you know getting called at the 11th hour and how was that experience for you 
Uh, it was actually, thankfully, it was able to to pan out. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to sort of um, respond at that time because otherwise, again, it was a it was a road to Nats. Um, and if I wasn't able to do it, then the event just wouldn't have been able to fire. Um, and that would have, you know, been a huge bummer, uh, as they say. So um, there were actually a couple of times, I think, that I've... I've had to do, I think it was exactly two times. It was for the same owner and in the same sort of situation. Um, there was one time I was driving home from my parents' place, uh, which is outside of the city. And then the other time was, yeah, Grant got snowed in and just all of a sudden needed um, a replacement. But uh, yeah, it was it was nice. It was also obviously um, like the, the community was really appreciative of it, which mm-hmm. um, selfishly did feel good. But really at the end of the day, it was just to make sure that um, people are able to interact with the game in the way that they choose to, which again, because of our local scene being quite competitive, this is something that people were looking forward to. This was an event that was important. Um, so yeah, being able to, to make that happen, uh, I think was, um, it, it was nice <laughs> again, yeah. selfishly, but yeah. So I guess addressing kind of the way you look at the competitive or how you are competitively in the game do you like judging or is it sort of like a role that you just do to to fill so that other people can enjoy the game that they the way they want to it's a little bit of both um i have found personally the most success playing competitively in flesh and blood than i have for most other games um i do like to play games but most of the time i just don't end up finding that success yeah (laughs) um i I don't know if it's just the way that i interact with them personally but um but when it comes to higher level events um i know probably that i i either won't get to the point where i'll get the invite or if i do get the invite it won't be as interesting to me because i generally don't have a ton of time or money to travel um so it is you know more i i do like to play the game competitively and like when we were doing our uh skirmishes um, I was actually able to do a lot better than I thought I was able to. Uh, I, I ever thought I was ever, ever going to be able to. Um, I ended up going uh, top eight, then top four, then top two in the nice. three events that we had. That's um, awesome. So yeah, that felt kind of good. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's it's just I'm available for whatever capacity the the local community needs me to be. So if they just if they need a judge, you got it, man. Yeah. If you need somebody else to fire this event, you got it, man. Um, yeah, it's, I I just really appreciate the game and I kind of like how it's not necessarily underdeveloped our, our local community is, but it is just like, it's small. So it needs the support, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least the support helps a lot more than it would for a bigger scene like magic would. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just something that I, I take a lot of enjoyment in is making sure that people can can play this game because i think it's really cool i think it's a nice game <laughs> it, it's it's pretty fun i hear touching a little bit on your success in in skirmishes um i kind of saw your face light up like myself as well like this is my first competitive game and when i started to find a little bit of success in skirmishes and rtns as a like a casual competitive person like we kind of talked about man did it feel good to actually you've been playing the game and putting in not a ton of time like some other people that would be hyper competitive but when you find those marks where you hit like a top eight or a top four holy cow does it feel good and i saw that reaction in your face when you were talking about (laughs) it i'm like you kind of gave me goosebumps i'm like i remember that it felt really good and it was like one of the most rewarding moments and 
probably most recent part of my life. And, you know, it was really exciting to see you kind of react that way, talking about it. Yeah, it's it's so, sorry, Bill, but it's so no, specific absolutely. to local tournaments as well. Because if you're just playing a video game online, then, hey, I won a match, on to the next one. I moved up 2,000 points in the ladder. Now I'm ranked 300,000 in the world. Like, let's yeah. keep going up. But, but to actually have success like that, and just like Shay mentioned, yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's also one of those things specifically with Flesh and Blood where your your success with the game, I feel like, is dictated a lot more by your knowledge of the game than it is just paying to win. Like we were sort of mentioning before, there are specific game pieces that do increase your your chance to win by percentage points. But I think that somebody with a cheap deck and a ton of knowledge with a specific matchup will win a lot of the time over somebody who has less knowledge and a more expensive deck. Um, so especially when you're in those positions where, you know, you've, like Shay said, put in the time with your specific deck or strategy or whatever, and you finally start to feel that success, it's like really, really gratifying. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's one of those things that kind of makes you chase the game and look for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's addictive. Um, well, move on to our next topic here. And this is something that Shay and I are, are always very curious about because, like Shay mentioned, uh, both of us are somewhat outsiders to the TCG sphere before Flesh and Blood. And it's uh, you have a lot more experience than us, both through the spike feeders and also just through your, your background. And we are very curious because a lot of people say the fab community, and you alluded to this, that the fab community is special, it's good in some way, it's positive, the people are passionate. And I, I would just like to hear your thoughts on that. Is that true, both locally for you and also through your interactions with the broader fab community online through perhaps your work uh, with the Living Legends podcast? As a general rule, yes. Um, a lot of the experience that I, I have had personally and have heard through other people is that Flesh and Blood just specifically, I, I don't know what it is about Flesh and Blood communities, but they are overwhelmingly positive. That, of course, doesn't discount any of uh, interactions that people have had that have not been positive. Um, but... I, I, even just drawing from my own personal experiences, um, going to local events for Flesh and Blood, I have never felt like I was not welcome or that I was an outsider or that I was like, I don't even know how to describe it other than like being uh, derided or being made fun of. Um, there are a, a handful of stories that just come to mind immediately of me going to um, different events like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic locally and uh, just felt like such an outsider and so unwelcomed. Um, the, the local community just being very insular with um, you know their group of people that know each other super, super well and are almost like xenophobic when it comes to new people trying to break into that space. Yeah, that's just something that personally feels so unbelievably bad and I'm, I'm sure that's I'm the only person who feels this way but um, yeah it's it's something that I, I'm very conscious of when it comes to at least my interactions with local people I want to make sure that if somebody is new and they're just here testing something out or you know there was a couple times where people just showed up with a, a freshly sleeved pre-con with no changes um, 
I, I just want to, I maybe even overcorrect for it sometimes, but I just want to make sure that people feel like, you know, even though you're playing against people who have like top tier high level decks that like you still belong here. Mm -hmm. Um, this is something that you are allowed to do. And like, even if you don't find, um, like competitive success, you should still find friendship success. Like we want you to be here sort of thing. Um, and yeah, that specifically, for some reason, that just feels so tailored specifically to the flesh and blood experience, um, at least for me. Yeah, some I've noticed it too. You touched on it that like sometimes we're maybe a little over the top. I find in our community, I kind of call it like we're aggressively friendly. Like we <laughs> we want you so badly to come into the community because I always talk about like this game can't exist without people. So it mm -hmm. needs to grow. We always want more people. So sometimes I, I wonder if we're like, I hope we're not off-putting by being too friendly and by like giving people chaff and just like really engaging with them. Um, but I, you know, it's something that we also do here too. I noticed. So it's funny to hear you say kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just something that, uh, especially I thought of when, uh, there was a situation, like I said, where somebody just got a Lexi pre-con and they sleeved it up and, and brought it and, uh, ended up playing against them. And unfortunately, uh, as the story goes, I completely ranched them, mm. um, <laughs> and uh but afterwards you know i was talking about them i was like i love lexi i think this deck is really cool um and i ended up giving them uh, i just had an extra like pulse of Volthaven in yeah. my binder and i was just like yeah here you go like this isn't in the pre-con but this is a really good card for the deck so i think you yeah. like um like here you go and uh every so often i think back on that and i was like ah, i hope that that didn't come across as me like making fun of them or giving them charity or something. It's just yeah. like, I just this, I know this deck and I know you would like this card and it doesn't matter to me. So here, here you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm going to pull on a thread a little bit here, Bill. I, I know you said you don't know why, but I mean, have you noticed is, do you think fab tracks um, maybe a slightly older audience than other games potentially, or can you speculate even as to what the reason is or could it just be again the honeymoon effect that it's still something new and as it as it grows we're just destined to become like any other community with all the good and the bad um i do think that uh, again i i've heard mostly stories that are overwhelmingly positive but i have none that come to mind unfortunately but i have heard stories of people having less than desirable experiences within their local uh, meta and uh i feel like those they do exist but they are less common and i think that you're sort of on the on the nose there with um just sort of a generally more like just an older audience of people who have some amount of experience with if not card games just gaming in general and uh, with the community being smaller anyway, um, it maybe even self-selects people who are not pleasant because instead of hiding in like a 64-person tournament where, you know, oh, I'm against this person and either I've never seen them before or I know that they're a jerk or whatever, but they're sort of within the ranks and you don't always play against them. In these local events that are smaller, you basically play against every person there at least once. Mm -hmm. um, so if somebody is overwhelmingly negative or overwhelmingly unpleasant then like i don't want to say that they get forced out but i feel like they would probably just not get the interaction that they're looking yeah. for and sort of leave on their own terms um so 
I don't know. Yeah. Like I, like I said, a lot of the people that are in our local scene are, uh, really like successful and professional people. Um, there are uh, a few people that, um, are part of our scene that are sort of on the younger side, but really I think the youngest person is maybe 18. Um, it's, it's not quite like uh, local Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon events where it's like, you're trying to beat up an eight year old at your, yeah. at your favorite mm-hmm. card game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's just an inherent level of, I don't want to say maturity because that feels so like snooty to say, but yeah. you know, in, in sort of a, just a broader, more general way, um, at least the people that I've experienced have just like, they have an understanding about how they want to interact with the game. Kind of add to your point, I think too, that while we do have a, I think a more older touch on the game that the younger people, there's less of them too. So they have to, I don't know if they have to, it's not really the right word to put it, say it, but fit into to a more mature or older crowd too. They don't get to just hang out with their group of younger friends and have that same level of um, um, action or emotion the way they typically do. And they, I think mm-hmm. they probably end up taking a lead from some of the older people as well that like, I probably need to behave differently in this group because I am, um, you know, not with all of my friends maybe. Yeah. And there might even be, like, I don't know if this is me just totally speculating here, but there might even be a gameplay reason for that as well. I feel like Flesh and Blood doesn't doesn't lend itself to, like, overly flashy plays, um, like Yu-Gi-Oh, like Magic would, where it's like, you know, I slam down my 7-drop and you can't beat this. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Flesh and Blood, it's, like, incremental advantage over a time. Or, like, you have one play but it's something that just gives you an amount of leverage over the tempo of the game where you can then sort of use that to your advantage. So instead of being like, oh, I summon my blue eyes white dragon, it's like, oh, I block this thing only for only with one card from my hand. So now I can like crippling crush you with dominate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something to that as well. That's just me sort of spitballing off the top of the dome. Um, but yeah, it's it's almost like a slower burn when it comes to to card games and the the excitement, like you said, that you get out of it. I think that's a really good way to put it, though. Is that yeah, it's incremental, it's slow, it doesn't have that big boom. Here it is, eat it moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and games are yeah, games are just sort of more back and forth. Like that's one of the things I love about Flesh and Blood as well is that you never, unless you're having a it's a specific matchup or you're in like a really bad game or you get a bad draw or whatever a lot of flesh and blood games feel very down to the wire like very back and forth um the amount of games that i've had that i've gone to like one one far outweigh the ones that i've had that are just a complete landslide (laughs) yeah yeah oh that's that's such a fascinating point bill i've never had it explained to me like that um just the the type of plays that you make and maybe more incremental less flashy but makes a lot of sense when Mm-hmm. you say that i guess the the last question that i have on this particular topic is if if you did have some advice to keep the community positive and in this you know all the traits that you described i guess what would that be drawing on from all of your experience with with different card games it's it's a it's a really good question because i don't know exactly how much more growth we're going to see i would love to see more growth uh within our local community um but it feels like there's still sort of a a catalyst event that needs to happen for us to go from you know 
basically getting a pretty consistent like 10 to 12 people, maybe up to 16 uh, on, a, on a special day. Uh, going from that to getting like constantly 25 people plus, 30 people plus, um, which you would see, you know, at most other events uh, for larger card games, whether they be Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic. Um, but I think the the most important thing to try to keep the current feel and environment that we currently have is um, just to have the split of events that people want, which is unfortunate because sometimes it can feel like you're splintering the community into separate things. But if the competitive people always have to play in casual events or like blitz events, if they only want to play CC or vice versa, if there are people who only want to play blitz, but you only ever have CC, then you're just going to self-select those people out anyway. Um, so I think it's important for game stores to recognize that and to realize that not always people won't always want to play the same type of event. Um, and whether or not that means you split them so that, you know, there are two events running concurrently or you switch back and forth as weeks happen, um, catering to a pretty wide swath of people, I think is, is a really key thing to keep an eye out for because, um, it, it can be very easy to look past that and just say, well, most of the people here want to play CC. That's great. But then you're locking yourself into that demographic or you're right. pushing away the people that want to do competitive stuff. So it's a balance that needs to happen in some capacity and it's better for you to make that choice instead of having it made for you. Thank you. I guess we'll jump into the next topic. You are one third of the Living Legend podcast, one of the most successful podcasts in Flesh and Blood. What was the spark behind um, that starting? Uh, I think it was Kel just sort of reaching out to me. Uh, Red Zone Rogue. It was yeah. uh, He reached out to me on Twitter and basically just said, hey, do you want to make a podcast? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was basically just the idea was we had a lot of um, the most of the podcast space, uh, especially at that time was mostly taken up by um you know like uh, arsenal pass yep. and um you know it was very competitive focused it was more about you know what the current meta is and uh, breaking that stuff down and uh you know it was myself uh kel and as who just sort of realized like there's a lot that goes into this game and there's a lot of stuff that people latch onto as well like I was saying earlier, people, you know, they like to play this game because it it sort of lends itself to being competitive, but it also lends itself to latching onto characters. And uh, like we were kind of mentioning cosplay and the lore behind the characters and just the art style in general. Like, um, like I have, I, I love the art that's done. I have multiple artist proofs from Carlos Cruchaga, nice. um, who's one of my favorite artists in the game. And just being able to interact with the game on that axis as well, instead of just treating it as a card game, it is like a, it's a greater community. Um, so that was something that really sort of spoke to us, something that we really wanted to just make, you know, we wanted to put more of a spotlight on the fact that um, there's so much that goes into Flesh and Blood outside of just the competitive aspect. So we wanted to, uh, I think our original tagline was going to be uh, your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of fl flesh and blood or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really where it came from. It was just us wanting to um, have sort of a weekly check-in for people who wanted to be like, you know, 
what's going on with flesh and blood this week because there's always usually always something yeah um and uh yeah sometimes sometimes we do that sometimes we just ramble on about random stuff <laughs> being experienced uh content creators does it feel like a natural fit for the three of you to do this podcast sort of um i i can't necessarily speak to kellen as specifically they're really good at um keeping up sort of conversational back and forths and stuff i uh sort of as as a little bit like outing myself a little bit i am not a podcast um person like i don't consume podcasts as a, as a form of media mm-hmm. um but uh i think that it's just something that the, the way that we approach it is we basically at some point kel hits record once we're all on a call and then we talk for a little bit and then uh as goes are we live and that that's it and then we just like talk about we have usually like a a set of bullet points of things we want to talk about um and then we just kind of go until it's done um so the way that we approach it isn't necessarily as content it's sort of we are talking and as a result that becomes content (laughs) yeah that was a spot-on uh impression (laughs) <laughs> it was so good I mean, I, I, yeah i talk to the man every week uh yeah. so it's it's that and lovely old job yeah um <laughs> it, it sounds yeah. so natural when you are talking and i guess that's that's why because it's just a conversation that you happen to record right yeah yeah it's uh it ends up being i don't know we, we just always have decent topics to talk about um because i mean like i said there's always something happening in flesh and blood and uh, we're all sort of interacting with it in a slightly different way, as is very like um, on the ground and grassroots and uh, interacting with the community there. Uh, Kel obviously has a much bigger audience, so he's juggling that plus other stuff. Um, and then myself, like I, I personally, I am part of a lot of content, but I do not personally create a lot of content. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's more of a... Um, like a theoretical thing for me, at least from a content creation standpoint, but it's still fun and it's still nice to just be able to talk about stuff and to, um, to theory craft and to speculate. That's where I find the most joy to keep with that thought. What keeps you going, um, on week after week to make content on, you know, multiple platforms. It's mostly, um, like I said, like we, we basically just record our regular conversations. So when we're having discussions with each other, it's because we just want to talk about flesh and blood. Um, we just have an excuse to start up a call every week and, uh, and just start talking about things that have happened. And what do you think about, you know, this spoiler and what, what are the implications of this? Did you read the latest, the latest lore article? Um, Mm. like such and such a thing happened or, um, like there's a, a new shakeup in the meta, and I think that that's cool because a previously unplayable deck is now playable. Um, so yeah, it's it's really just sort of a way for uh, for me personally as well to keep myself accountable with things that that happen because uh, personally, and we actually did an episode about this recently, um, but uh, I've been going through a little bit of an ebb and flow when it comes to you know burnout and and interaction with the game, but keeping part of the living legends podcast, make sure that I, I don't slip too far and mm-hmm. that I'm able to continue to uh, keep up so that when I do get that, um, that sort of spark to come back that I'm not just totally lost. <laughs> so being an experienced content creator, do you have uh, 
any tips that you can share with anybody, like even us or somebody else that might be considering uh, starting up their own content? Absolutely. Um, this is pretty, uh, I would say it's pretty common um, advice to give, but I also, at, from my own experience, can say that it is like the most important thing to do with content is just make your content. Um, and that sounds super dumb, but you know, there are always people that will be like, Oh, I got to wait until I get a good camera. I got to wait until I get a good microphone. I got to whatever do the best that you can with what you currently have and just keep making content that speaks to you. Um, because you know, you could try to make your content look the absolute best, but from again, personal experience, you can have the best microphone, you can have the best camera. And if you don't know how to use them, they're garbage. Mm -hmm. um, like it is, it is not worth your time. Uh, we started the spike feeders with, um, it was a crappy, like, I think it was like a $60 DSLR that my brother had found. He taped it to the lights above his kitchen table. And then we had a series of two by fours that he had nailed together that had uh, a, a snowball Yeti microphone suspended from it with wire. Um, yeah. And that was it. We just decided to start making content. Um, so yeah, make your content, make sure the content that you're making is something that you're interested in as well. Um, I know I just said that I don't personally consume podcasts, but you know, it's, it's the type of information that I prefer. It is like long form content that goes into some amount of, uh, detail, usually like, uh, closer to a deep dive than, um, than normal. Um, but yeah, if you're making content that you yourself don't appreciate, then your heart won't be in it and people yeah. will be able to notice. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the biggest piece of advice that I can give personally. <laughs> Makes sense. Moving into some of the final points of this uh, topic or sorry this podcast we're getting up to an hour and 20 minutes here um you have a <laughs> personal favorite moment in flesh and blood uh so far whether it be playing or judging or any experience that's a good question actually um, i mean you didn't have this information beforehand so i know it's kind of catching you off guard no i i, I uh, felix did share this with me <laughs> before and i did look through it but uh it's a lot but yeah it is because you've been playing for what a year and a half to two years like yeah yeah there's a lot to pull from um honestly um i would say one of the most interesting things that has happened to me personally is um like i was sort of mentioning where people get drawn to their own sort of deck or their own hero was me sort of making the realization that I could make the, uh, I have a stupid aggro prism deck that I love talking about. I don't know if, if, if mm -hmm. either of you are familiar with it, but it's based around, um, using transmogrify to pump up random things and turn them into illusionist cards. Yep. Um, it was just, it was a really interesting, uh, moment for me when I realized that instead of just pulling from a deck that had been, you know, iterated on and theory crafted to death and like, this is the optimal build or this is, you know, the most optimal. And then these are the things that people are trying out. Instead, I was just like, I want to attack with snatch with go again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just like, and how do I do that? And I was like, okay, well, I can play Prism. I can play it with Luminaris. Uh, if I transmogrify, uh, then play a like a blue snatch, it attacks in for seven or eight with go again. And then I can play fractal rep- replication to do it again. Um, <laughs> and just like do dumb stuff and like put that all together. And uh, the the deck is not good, but it is a notorious round one killer um, because I, I'm just able to, to basically merc whoever I'm against round one and then immediately get paired into a guardian and lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then just don't, I, I just keep losing forever. Um, That's awesome. But uh, yeah, just games where I'm able to, to play with that deck and have that go off, that to me is just super satisfying because it's an idea that I had uh, at least as far as I know, there weren't really any deck lists that were posted because it's not the optimal thing, mm-hmm. but yep. it was something that I was able to put time and effort into and see basically about as much success as I can expect out of it. Um, and that just feels really gratifying. Um, yep. just like a personal sort of achievement to, to have something, an idea and have it realized within the debt within the game. Um, yeah. We were trying to do the same thing here with overload. Uh, yeah. So good, like a dominated go again. Yeah, yeah. I have, uh, I think, only yellows currently uh, in my list. I think yeah. I was playing with blues at one point, but the fact that they block for two, like, really is not yeah. good for that deck. Yeah. I was so excited when Spectral Prowler came out because it just fits in the zero cost attack um, slot, but it blocks for three. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bill, for for joining us here on the IP Two Podcast. Um, could you let our listeners know uh, where people could find you online? Absolutely. And once again, thanks for having me. This was a, a fantastic conversation with you both. Yeah. Um, I am Bill from the Spike Feeders. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BillTSF, and you can also find me on YouTube at the Spike Feeders Fab. Uh, we do live edited gameplay content. Uh, so if that's something that interests you, you should definitely go check us out. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us on the IP2 Podcast. Please find us on YouTube at IP2 Podcast, on Twitter at IP2 Podcast, and on Mastodon at IP2 Podcast at Wraith.Social. Thank you. Yeah, and I, sorry, I interrupted Shay and now I completely lost my, my train of thought. <laughs> okay. so, so while you gather that train of thought. Yeah. Hang on, sorry, my cat might no, start making some noise. <laughs> it's all good. I have, My cat walks across my mic half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He might just start digging in his box and I don't want yeah. that to, it's all to good. interrupt me. Well, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. We, you know, so, I think, as, oh, sorry, I was going to say, as Prism players, both Felix and I, I think we've probably looked at a deck uh, similar, not to interrupt, but go ahead and finish the rest of your uh, story. Oh, absolutely. Please.